Lord Jesus, um, as we hear from your word right now, would you help us to understand with our hearts? Um, we pray, Lord, that um, we would allow you to awaken our love afresh today. And may we have the courage to follow through with all that that means in our lives. Amen. I want to start with asking the question, what price would you pay for love? Think about the people in your life who you love, your spouse or partner, your parents, your kids, your siblings, your friends. And think about the sacrifices that you make for them. Sometimes we sacrifice for love every single day, especially parents or carers. Um, you're sacrificing many times through the day and often throughout the night as well. And we you know, readily would sacrifice our sleep and our personal space and time, our hobbies, our time with um, other friends and other loved ones. And sometimes we even sacrifice our job and our income for the people that we love. If you're in the excitement of new love, you would willingly sacrifice time, money, friendships and hobbies just to spend time with that person. And as a friend, you might willingly make similar sacrifices, um, especially if you've got a friend who's going through a tough time. So yeah, we pay the price for love all the time really, don't we? Even if that means poverty and suffering alongside others. Because we actually wouldn't have it any other way, would we? To have these people in our lives and to have the love and the delight that we experience with them and the soul-satisfying joy that love brings is worth even the most extreme cost. But when it comes to loving Jesus, what price are we willing to pay? Most of us, when we heard this reading today or when we've read this passage before, we hear it as a really hard teaching. It's one of those passages that make us question, am I really counted as a disciple then? Because this just seems too hard for me, too harsh. And so what I want to do today is to help us see beyond that, to really hear and understand Jesus's heart in this. So let's just step back for a sec. As hard as these words seem, there's a surprising transparency in what Jesus is saying. And this is actually the complete opposite of what manipulative leadership looks like. Jesus is being frank and honest so that there's no catch that people find out about later on. Normally leaders would try and paint a glorious picture of what following them means so that they can gain a popular following. But Jesus is saying actually no, Following me is going to be hard. It's not going to be easy or glorious or glamorous. It's going to be tough. It's going to mean tough sacrifices that will dramatically impact your life. Sacrifices to relationships. Sacrifices of lifestyle. And even of suffering. I mean, what other leader would say that? What is this about? Uh, N.T. Wright, I think, um, gives a helpful um, insight here. He suggests that Jesus is more like the leader of an expedition about to embark on a rescue mission through really difficult terrain. And Jesus is saying to the crowds around him, if you're going to go with me on this mission, you're going to need to be prepared to pay the cost. And we know what his mission was, don't we? 
We know where he's heading. To Jerusalem. To the cross. On his mission towards his own suffering and death for the sake of the world. Jesus knows what's ahead for him as he nears his time to suffer and he knows what's at stake. So could it be that instead of a list of totally unreasonable demands, Jesus is talking about what it means to love him. To love him through the suffering and pain and loss that he's about to go through. And I think when we read it through the lens of grief, this passage suddenly makes sense. Jesus is asking us to pay the price for a love that will endure through that loss and confusion and grief. Because this is what following him is going to mean. This is what discipleship is. It's relationship. It's love. It's not just about learning from him or doing what he does. But being his lover, if I can put it so provocatively, not in the way we think about it, you know, with that sexual connotation, but being someone who loves him with that true, soul-wrenching, all-or-nothing love. And we've also got to see this passage in the context of Luke's Gospel. Before this passage, as we heard about last week, Jesus was talking about the incredibly inclusive invitation of God to his royal banquet. And after our passage, which we're going to come to next week, is the famous chapter 5 of these incredible parables of the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one, the woman who searches desperately for her lost coin, and the father who welcomes his prodigal son home. So this hard word of discipleship that we're hearing today is sandwiched between the faithful, ecstatic love and joy and delight of the Father God in you. The context is love. The context is finding our true selves in relationship with God. And as I reminded us before with the talk about precious gold being refined, the context here is how precious you are to God. You see, the cost of following Jesus is worth it for that love, for the precious place we hold in God's heart. So please understand Jesus' heart in these words and understand the love that he's calling forth from you. Verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Let me clarify that this term... Um, that this doesn't mean hate as we understand this term. We know that there's no room for hatred in any of Jesus' teaching. Remember, he teaches us, us to love, even our worst enemies. So he's making a deliberately provocative statement to make you stop and think. It's rhetorical, not literal. So in the context of Jewish society at the time, family was everything. It was your identity your place in society, your security, and your future. So when he says, hate your mother, hate your father, your kids, even your own self, he's saying, I want you to be clear about who your primary allegiance is to. 
and where your primary sense of identity is found. If it's to Jesus, to God, then by contrast, these other loves are less. He's saying you've got to order your loves. He's saying if you want to be my disciple, I need to be your everything. And in Judaism at the time, and in actually a lot of cultures around our world today, a decision to follow Jesus meant actually complete alienation from family. It meant being rejected by the ones who are your primary source of security and protection and love. One of my friends who's now an Anglican minister in Melbourne, um, he came to Australia to study as an international student. And at that time, he was a devoted Muslim. And by an amazing work of God, he became a Christian not long after arriving here. But when his family in his home country found out, they disowned him. And he knows that if he goes back, his life would be in danger. And I've even heard of Islamic families putting hits out on their daughters who have come to faith in Christ. So this is real. There's a huge cost to loving Jesus that many people in our Christian family around the world have to pay. But it's their joy because they are found and have life because of Jesus' love for them. Do we feel that way about God? Is it our joy to put our relationship with God ahead of every other relationship we have in our lives? What does it mean to put our relationship second to Jesus? I think we need to ask ourselves, who are we trying to please ahead of God? What relationships do we lean on for our sense of security? And are those relationships shaping us more than we allow Jesus to shape us? Maybe for some of us, we've put our friends ahead of God. And we try so hard to fit in. We feel that we've got to look a certain way, drink a certain way, spend our money in a certain way, or behave a certain way so that we can feel accepted and belong, so that our sense of identity feels validated. And we allow other people to subtly dictate who we are. We make them the reference point for our character our identity, and even our interests. And this, this isn't healthy. Only Jesus should be that person. So this morning, Jesus, I think, wants us to be willing to reevaluate some of those relationships. And we need to ask ourselves, who's driving the trajectory and the direction of my life? It can't be my partner or my spouse. It can't be my kids. It can't be my family or my friends. One that's too much to put on people and two, only God can hold the weight of your life. Jesus is calling for disciples who will order their loves under him. St. Augustine, he was a theologian in the early church around the three to four hundreds and he's famous for talking about this idea of ordered love of rightly ordered love being the essence of virtue. Augustine talked about how we are to love everything in creation according to its proper relationship to God. So this means loving God above anyone or anything else and not loving anyone else as your ultimate end, only him. 
If we love anyone above him, Augustine says we ultimately do harm to ourselves. Only God and loving him can rightly be your ultimate end. And this is true virtue. This is the perfect love of God. And Augustine also talked about how if we order our love in this way, with God's central first and foremost, we actually come to love better. He said that people and things are loved rightly when they are loved ordinately. Because if we love the creator of love, the definer of love, the source of love, we become more and more participants in that perfect love as it flows from God through us to others. So friends, are you submitting your loves to God? Now I know that some of you listening might be in difficult relationships. Please don't hear what I'm saying as um, an excuse or a prod to, to walk away from that. That's not what I'm saying. Get help, get support, get counselling to work on those relationships, to work on your marriage. And, you know, I also just want to commend the, the single people around us who have done this and who do this every day, who have put God above the love of someone who wasn't right and who have sacrificed the prospect of marriage and family for the sake of their love relationship with Jesus. Be affirmed this morning. Jesus is calling for disciples who will order their loves under him. And I think the rest of this passage flows from this idea. Carrying our cross in verse 27 is about standing with Jesus in his sacrificial love for others. Jesus carried the cross not for his own need, not for his own sake, but for the needs of the world and for the sake of others. To take the world's sin upon himself in order to set it free. So when Jesus asks people to carry their cross, it's not just about accepting that life is hard because we're Christians. He's not saying just suck it up. But I think he's asking us to hold with him, just like him, the weight of the needs around us before the mercy and grace of God. To take upon ourselves the mission of the cross. The weight of others' sufferings and the needs and burdens of other people that can only be met in Christ that we'd be willing to suffer alongside others for the sake of their redemption in Christ, that we'd be willing to go through persecution and suffering for the sake of others' salvation, for the sake of the gospel. Because if we love Jesus, we love his mission, and participating in it with him becomes an incomparable joy to any suffering we experience in this world because of it. So whose salvation are you willing to suffer for? And maybe you're already doing it. Maybe you're already in it. And it's hard and you've been doing this, walking alongside someone for years. And you're trying to hold to hope in spaces that seem hopeless. Remember in John, Jesus explained that it's only when a seed dies and falls to the ground that it then produces many seeds. Remember, your taking up of your cross is not in vain. Our dying to self for the sake of others' salvation is never in vain. God is at work in the hidden spaces that we can't always see.
So keep going. And then from verse 28, Jesus gives two analogies. One about weighing up the costs of a building project and figuring out if you can afford it and, and finish it before you even start. The point being that we shouldn't follow Jesus naively. He's told us how much it's going to cost. So our decision to follow him and our decision to love him needs to weigh that up and decide and commit to the long haul of a life of sacrifice. Because our discipleship and our love for Jesus, it's not actually just a once-off decision and a one-time cost, but the costs are ongoing and lifelong. The more I walk in ministry, the more costs there are. And not just for me, but for the people in my life. There's costs to our kids because Jerome and I are in ministry together. There's costs to our family and it's a continual sacrifice and sometimes it's really hard. But I have to keep saying, okay, God, yes, I'm willing to keep paying the price for this. The other analogy Jesus shares is about a king who realises he doesn't have enough troops to win a battle. And so instead of trying to rally more troops or or going and finding other allies, or foolishly sending in his army to the slaughter. He goes and asks for terms of peace in an act of surrender. And he hands over his allegiance to the king who is stronger. In this story, I think Jesus is the stronger king who will ultimately prevail. And so discipleship is a decision of allegiance that will involve complete surrender. I think some of us might have tried Christianity apart from submission and surrender, but it just hasn't worked well. Some of us have just been playing it safe. And we know that we've drawn a line and we've told Jesus he can't step over it. Just this far, Lord. But Jesus wants to take us from safe to surrendered. For those of us who think, no, hang on, I'm not ready to hand that over yet, whatever that might be, whatever we feel God is asking us to let go of, whether that's relationships, ideas, possessions, money, income, whatever we find security in or whatever other loves we have in our lives, I think Jesus is trying to say that fighting him on this isn't going to work. Let it go. Surrender your kingdom to him. Jesus is saying, I want you to be enfolded into what I'm doing rather than me just being tacked on to a small side part of your life. He's saying, join me all the way. And then this passage finishes with the analogy of salt losing its flavour and being tossed out as useless. Jesus is talking about being an effective disciple. And it's a warning for those of us who have started out on this journey with him not to give up, not to lose our focus, and not to let our love for him wane so that our salt loses its taste and becomes useless. Just like salt uh, is a key ingredient to any meal, as Jerome especially will tell you, (laughs) because it brings out and enhances all the other flavours. So I think so we, his disciples, his lovers, are a key ingredient in God's plans.
in his mission in the world. There's a really important part that you have in God's kingdom. Don't forget that and don't ever lose your edge. Daryl Bock, he was um, the commentator that I read in preparation for this. He says that one is not really an effective disciple without the attitude that there can be no greater possession than following Jesus. And I would say no greater possession than loving Jesus. This is what Jesus is saying to us this morning. There's no greater love than him. No greater love than that that's in him. So, friends, today I think is an opportunity for us to think about how our walk with Jesus is going. Are there places that he's calling you to count the cost afresh? And think about the loves in your life. Are they ordered under Christ? Is he your first love and the love through whom all your other loves flow? And if you love him, do you love his mission? And are you willing to go with him on it and pay the price with him for it? If you can say yes, you haven't lost your saltiness. And if you can't say yes yet, the answer is in his love for you, in the price that he's paid on the cross for your life, in the suffering and grieving love that he has gone through to awaken your love. So let me pray. Jesus, thank you for reminding us today of that price that you've paid for our love, that price that you have paid for love. Thank you that you embarked on your mission to the cross because of your love for us and for the world. I pray this morning, God, that you would help us to move from that place of just being safe, God, to the place of full surrender. Help us to just let go. And Lord, help us to reorder our loves rightly under your love. And help us to be so caught up in love for you that it becomes our daily joy to pay whatever price we have to for it. In Jesus' name, amen.